When you know what you want for the future, you need the present to line up with your goals. UCF Online offers more than 100 fully online programs in healthcare, engineering, criminal justice, and more. So you can get to your future and beyond. From the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning, I'm Kelvin Thompson. And I am Tom Cavanaugh. And you are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast. Hey, Tom. Hey, Kelvin. How's things? Well, depends on the things. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Which things, Tom? Um, you know, all the things, as they say. All the things. All In the that things. case, uh, they're about... Um, uh, Fair to Midland, they're they're okay. kind of they're kind of average if they're yeah, all the things. How many you know blank platitude cliches can we throw at each other? Um, uh-huh. yeah. I, I don't know. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Fair to Midland podcast signing off for today. <laughs> yes, that's that's yeah. that, that that is it. Now I guess some things are are better and some things are worse. But if you put all the things together, then they're probably average. Yeah, right in the middle, as they should be. Yes. So, so Kelvin, you me. did not uh, mm-hmm. pour me a cup of coffee today. Uh, <laughs> what was I thinking, Tom? I know. Well, we are physically separated for <laughs> a lot why. of scheduling <laughs> reasons today. So uh, we've each gone a little, um, you know, DIY, uh, yes. the coffee connection here. Yeah. So um, What you got? What you got? What do I got? You know what? Because it's, it's late afternoon as uh-huh. we're recording this. And I, uh-huh. I went with the, um, the iced coffee. Ooh. This is a, a Starbucks Pike's Place, I think. Okay. I've froofed it up, and so yeah. And I do have a connection. All right, to the I'll, topic. I'll, 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 I'll listen. Are you, am I supposed to find a connection there? No, that's it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Hey, I'm not as good at this as you are. <laughs> All right. Well, you want me to tell you what I'm drinking? Yeah. In my yeah. in my in my uh, lovely Tatooine uh, Star Wars when it was called Star Wars Travel Mug. Um, this is a single origin uh, Ethiopia, Guji, Ethiopia, from Cooperative Coffee Roasters in Asheville, North Carolina. And it came to me, and you know a little bit about this, it came to me by way of a sudden and unexpected family trip that I uh, uh, oh, took yes. recently that uh, I ended up gifted with this coffee uh, along the journey. Uh, sudden and unexpected, but it is quite tasty, uh, I must say. I assume yours is too. Um, yes. I don't know. If, see if you can find a connection of, to I mine, and yours. I'll think about a connection think, to yours. I think I got yours. You All right, go mine, for probably. it. All right, so yours, because I know uh, that you did have this uh, sudden and unexpected road trip that you that you took. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we've, we've got some sudden and unexpected <laughs> things to talk about today on, on the podcast. That was it. That's yeah, all, okay, that's, all that's cool. That's all, I, I, I'm still working on the, yeah. the iced so, uh, Pike Place, though. Yeah, so Pike Place doesn't have anything to do with it so much. But it, the iced part, um, because nothing leaves people feeling colder than government regulations. Oh, oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good segue is what that is. See, that, that's right, that's right. That's because a good segue. Today, we are... We are talking regs. Woohoo! But don't turn um, off the podcast. It's going to no, be good. We promise. It's going to be good. I promise. And entertaining. <laughs> um, because um, it's really an important topic. And um, we actually kind of adjusted our release schedule a little yes. bit uh, because of it. Because there is some late breaking news. And 
um, stuff that, that potentially has a, a genuine impact on distance learning in this country. So if you do distance learning, especially across state lines, uh, you kind of need to know about this. In fact, it's even broader than just distance learning. It involves any sort of instruction across state lines, like internships and co-ops, and if you're placing somebody in a clinical and all kinds of other things are actually touched by this. Now, we should say, I mean, you've hinted at it, but we should say to our listeners, this is going to be a very U.S.-centric episode, but you might stick it out anyway. Yeah, absolutely, and you, you may find something <laughs> interesting in that if you're in Canada or Mexico or someplace. Um, so Tom, so Tom, you uh, you interviewed yeah. a couple of our, our of our colleagues recently, uh, as in I think what three four days ago. <laughs> yeah, it was literally a couple of days ago. <laughs> Within this week on this topic, uh, shall I introduce them and um, and you can talk a little bit more about this uh, framing before we cut to the interview? Sounds good. All right. So you interviewed Russ Poulin and Cheryl Dowd for this interview and. Uh, our listeners might recall both of those names for folks who are not already acquainted with Russ and Cheryl because they were with us back in episode 58, which was <laughs> fun with regulations. Uh, that was released in January of 2020. Can you remember Maybe that? Maybe this back? will be more fun with yes, regulations. Right. More fun. Or son of fun with That's regulations. That's right. So you, had, you had, uh, had just interviewed them at the end of 2019, and we released January 2020 before all manner yeah. of things shifted in the earth. That's right. It was right before that. Yeah. Uh, Russ, uh, for those who don't know, is executive director of WCET, which is the WICHE Cooperative for Educational Technologies and vice president for technology-enhanced education at WICHE, which, of course, is the Western Interstate Commission on Higher Education, which is one of the four regional higher ed compacts in the United States. And Cheryl Dowd is WCET's director for the State Authorization Network. Um, why should people keep listening at this point to this interview that you're about to have, Tom? Frankly, there are, there are not two more knowledgeable, involved people to help us walk through and understand the regulations and the impact that they potentially will have on all of us than, than Russ and Cheryl. Um, if you're not reading their blog, if you're not reading the WCET policy blog, then you're missing out because they really break it down and it's always um, timely. Let us know what's happening kind of up to the moment. Russ has actually served on negotiating rulemaking committees before, so he's got an insider perspective. And, um, yeah, I think, I think you'll be doing yourself a favor <laughs> to stick this one out and, and, um, and listen all the way to the I'm Kelvin, I'm Tom at the very end. <laughs> That's right. Um, there are potentially, as I understand it, uh, looking at some of those blog postings, uh, new regulations in the midst of this that you all will talk about that could either go into effect July 2023 or uh, could go into effect July 2024. Uh, that sounds like a long time from now, but it really isn't when you're talking about having to maybe make adjustments to the way you do things. Uh, yeah. You all do get rather technical. Um, and some of the terminology will be familiar with, our, with some listeners and some might not. Uh, shall we just maybe quickly touch base on a couple of things? Can yes. I do the easy ones and you do the harder ones? <laughs> okay. okay. So Title IV is kind of mentioned, and that is just a, another way of referring to our U.S. federal financial aid, um, the eligibility to be, be able to offer 
get that. So you got to follow certain uh, guidelines to be eligible. And uh, we talk about NC SARA or SARA, which is, uh, uh, we refer to the State Authorization Reciprocity Network, which I love our colleague Bob Reed here at UCF um, always talks about. It's like how we have in the U.S. Uh, we have state driver's licenses, but you can cross, as I did recently, uh, state lines with your out-of-state license and they don't stop you at the border and say, now you've got to take another driving test, right? You can kind of, you can kind of do that. And we kind of respect each other's rules. So it's kind of like that for uh, online education. That's, that's a, yeah, that's exactly right. That's how I describe it, too. Um, and I think NC is National Compact and that's Sarah's right. State you. Authorization Reciprocity Agreement. And it is exactly that. It allows you to operate uh, educationally across state lines. And we all kind of agree to the same foundational set of rules. Um, yeah, <laughs> so that's a that's that's kind of one way of, of looking at it. There, there's one state, our friends in California, God bless you, California, that are not part of NC Sara, mm. but um, otherwise everybody else is, as well as some some territories. So there's some other things, professional licensure. We talk about a lot because some of these uh, these changes to these uh, these federal rules are uh, are impacting licensure. And so there are a number of current disclosures that institutions have to make about whether or not programs that lead to licensure, like a nursing program or a teacher certification mm -hmm. program or something that has a professional license attached to it, you have to declare whether or not you satisfy the requirements for particular states. And Cheryl and I talk a little bit about, mm -hmm. about that. And then the 90-10 rule, which isn't quite as relevant to distance learning specifically because it doesn't apply to any particular modality, but there are a lot of, particularly like for-profit schools that are a lot online that serve a, a large military population. And so the 90-10 rule says that um, at least 10% of your revenue must come from something other than federal financial aid or GI benefits or tuition assistance through the military. You have to get it through some other means. So you, you can't just basically be uh, operating a business that is 100% funded by government funds. Yep. So that's 90-10. Thank you for that. Uh, you know, one other thing that maybe we didn't say and we maybe should say, although I think you all touch on it, is all, maybe another bit of framing. <laughs> These regulations aren't there just to make everybody have headaches, right? The, the intention behind all of this is consumer protection for students, right? So that's a good thing, right? <laughs> At least in concept, in theory, it's a good thing. So it's just, it's yeah. all the details of how you get there. Yeah, and, and um, I agree. And especially, I mean, you and I are in the state of Florida, yeah. and um, we are something of a magnet for hucksters and, and shenanigans and ne'er-do-wells, uh, they seem to all sometimes filter down to the right bottom of the country and collect mm -hmm. in you know, South, South Florida, mm -hmm. you know. So, uh, you know, we actually have very strong consumer protection laws here as a, as a result of that, and that's a good thing. And, and other states do as well. And the, these regulations are designed to protect them. The, the concern I have as somebody kind of responsible for distance learning that operates across state lines, is that we spent years getting the SARA agreement stood up and everybody kind of 
compromising a little, but agreeing to it. And it's allowed us to really, I think, expand access to education, to give people choice across mm -hmm. these different options and different state lines. And a lot of these regulations just completely neutralize that. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to you're going to have to get certified in every single state and every state's got different rules. And 99% of institutions just don't have the resources or bandwidth to do that. And what's going to happen is they're just going to say, I'm not going to serve students from that state. I'm going to yeah. start serving students only from my state. And, and that, I don't think that's good for students. Mm -hmm. So I have, I have some real concerns. Yeah. Um, but Russ and Cheryl, uh, they are the primo experts in this. And I was really glad that, um, that we were able to get them on kind of short notice to talk us through this. One last plug. Uh, as always, uh, there are Read More About It links in the show notes on the website for TopCast. Uh, for this episode, just like there is for anything else. And this one you probably want to go to because there's a lot more detail. Uh, some of the um, government websites that are referred to and the blog postings, Tom, that you've already mentioned and other resources, they'll be there. So you can go dig in on the, the, the details. If, if you have a hard time at all following any of this, listen to it three or four times and go read the, <laughs> go read the yeah. other stuff. Yeah, and definitely check out the WCET blog. Yeah. Well, Tom, uh, I guess that's that's good as a prelude. And now, through the modern miracle that is technology podcast time travel, here's your interview with Russ and Cheryl. So, Cheryl and Russ, thank you for coming back on TopCast to talk about some of the shenanigans that are going on in our nation's capital uh, with this latest round of negotiated rulemaking. It can get a little dense at times, I know, for people who don't like everyday follow policy, but the implications are kind of enormous. So maybe for those who, who haven't been following in the, along in their hymnals at, at home, uh, Russ, I, w I wonder if you can just give us a, a quick little overview of, of what negotiated rulemaking is. You have served on these bodies in the past and have participated in negotiated rulemaking. So, so who better to explain it to the layman? Uh, yes, and I, and I find it hard to believe that people don't follow this every day. Uh, <laughs> but, but the negotiated rulemaking is something that the U.S. Department of Education and other, other uh, federal departments use in terms of setting down, well, exactly what what the regulations are that might might be used or interpretations for uh, for regulations or items that have come from Congress uh, so that people know what to do to comply. And uh, typically what they do is that they, they will set out what, here are the issues that we're going to talk about. They will gather around uh, effective, affected parties, uh, so people who would be affected by them or could provide knowledgeable input on whatever the, the, the issues are and that they go through a process uh, uh, where they have a small committee that talks about them, uh, that they negotiate and share proposals, and the Department of Education is one of the folks that is on, uh, that, is on that committee. And so they work these through, and then uh, later on there's a process that where they, uh, well, they try to come to what's called consensus, where they all agree on everything. Uh, that, that doesn't happen very often. And then once that is done, it goes out, uh, uh, whatever the results are, go out for public comment. And based upon the public comment, then the department can issue a final rule. Okay. So we've been going through that process now. 
there there are a number of things that have sort of been uh, kind of brought up as as part of this latest round. Um, some of it has to do with like the ninety ten rule and um, you know, gainful employment and other kinds of things. But then there's some things that are very specific to distance learning, which our listeners are going to want to know about. And I wonder if Cheryl, if you can kind of maybe summarize some of the the key areas that we should pay most close attention to. Sure. Uh, so, so what we found is, as you were mentioning, and as Russ was explaining, they pick issues that will be part of the rulemaking. And this particular one, as you mentioned, ninety ten rule, but something that didn't get a lot of um, of press, a lot of ink, was issue number six. It was called certification procedures, and within that were a lot of sub issues and some that we were surprised about. And the two that we're really gonna address today have to do with professional licensure notifications, and I'll talk a little bit about that, and Russ is gonna talk a little bit about reciprocity and how that was affected. But specifically, what this um, certification procedure, so if anybody wants to go look it up, it was issue paper number six, and it was a subsection, number 32, section 32, required that an institution ensure that its curriculum meets state educational requirements in a state where they are offering a program that leads to professional licensure where they intend to provide Title IV. So that was a higher bar than what we've been seeing previously. Previously, we, we know there were notifications. In 2019, when we got to talk to you, Tom, we were talking about um, you know, the different types of notifications that institutions would be providing. This took it up a notch and said, you're only going to provide it and provide Title IV if your curriculum, if you can ensure that the curriculum meets the state educational requirements. And so that was that was something that um, that we uh, want our, our lear- all of our uh, listeners here to be able to be understanding that that is a higher bar. Now, these regulations did not reach consensus, but we know from the department that it is their intention to write the rules that will be provided as proposed regulations in the near future. And Russ will probably talk a little bit about you know that structure and what are the next steps. So can I ask a question about that? Sure. Um, it's so funny. Literally, the meeting I had right before this was talking about this with some of our folks who handle this kind of compliance stuff. And um, one of the questions I have is, so in the past, in 2019, when we last spoke about this, institutions could state, yes, we meet the requirements. No, we don't meet the requirements. Or we kind of don't know. And that was OK. So has that, have those three choices changed going forward? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because what we were talking about within the certification procedures section, it has to do with something called the um, the uh, PPA, the Program Participation Agreement, and that's a little too dense for us to get into right now, but it's basically the contract that the institution makes um, to be able to participate in Title IV. So the notification section is in another part of the Code of Federal Regulations, and they were trying to tweak that with the public notifications, as you mentioned, Tom, the yes, no, maybe. Um, and what the department was indicating, they didn't really talk about it a lot, but they talk about removing the I don't know piece so that the notifications were still there and it was proposed that they 
either you indicate that your institution does or does not meet state educational requirements in all the states uh, and territories and remove that third option. They did not address the individual notifications that were already a part. We had conversations with the negotiators to say, hey, that, that section still exists, you know, please don't forget about it because it needs to harmonize, right? You know, with all of these other regulations. So as of, um, well, of course, these are only proposed. So as you know, for your institution, they need to keep providing the notifications as we know them, you know, until there's something that is changed. And that won't happen um, until at least July 1 of 2023. Yeah, so the problem for, for institutions here is that, the, is this insure word that they have in there is that really at this point, remember that the, she said the uh, program participation agreement was what you agreed to do in order to be able to offer federal financial aid. And so really what you're doing is that you're saying, you are sure, you are ensuring that you meet whatever the educational requirements are in that state where you're giving aid to a student. And the problem with that is that uh, in a lot of places you can, you can do that, that there is an approval process or something you could do. But in other places that they're either silent about what those requirements are or they won't, if you have a difference and you're trying to figure out, is this good enough, that they won't tell you. And so it's really hard for you as an institution for you to say, yes, I'm 100% sure that I meet that standard. And then now you're, you're basing your federal financial aid uh, on this standard where you're supposed to be sure, but there's no way for you to be 100% positive. Yeah, an interesting question I asked uh, our team was, so what about the national consortium, like uh, the, the nursing compact? And we know that if you're licensed in one state in the compact, the others will recognize that license. But it was pointed out to me that, yes, but so we're in Florida, and if you get licensed in Florida, it doesn't necessarily mean you meet the requirements of another state in the compact. It just means that that state, once you have your Florida license, will you know, accept that. So even then we can't say, if you're part of a compact like that, that you meet the requirements for some other state. It just, it does mean that your, your license is a little more portable, but it doesn't mean you meet the requirements for the, for the purposes of disclosure. You explain that so well, Tom. Um, we're going to hire you to go out and, and tell people this because that is the, the, the conflict is that what you just described is a post-licensure opportunity. And so we're talking about pre-licensure and we're talking about portability of the education, not the license. And so that those are two different things. And so you explained very well that it is, and, and that's another thing. And when you talk about teaching, there are different pathways to certification. And so you see that, it's, that the students would get their education and they would go to another state and states vary in terms of what they'll require in order to be able to be certified in their state. And they have different ways to do it. And so, you know, Russ will tell you too that, you know, we had, we made a public comment in the first week of rulemaking that we said, you know, please confer with professions and state boards to learn how they are providing it because we know that states and professions vary. So having a one size fits all rule is very challenging. Yeah, and Cheryl was, did a good job of talking with the teaching profession all that, there, that there's all sorts of uh, alternative uh, pathways in terms of getting into teaching. And one of the things is, is that, you know, almost every state that they have has a history of Kansas or say, you know, whatever, uh, whatever the history of the local state that they have it there. And typically what they'll do is that you 
you are uh, certified in the state, but provisionally certified until you take that history of Kansas course, right? So how does that fit with this new <laughs> regulation? You're not you're not fully meeting the requirements, but Kansas doesn't care. <laughs> so how do we how do we fit that in? Yeah, I, I mean. History of Kansas doesn't have a ton of relevance here in Florida. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, not that it's not interesting, right? It's a great right. state. But you, uh, but you probably have people who are, uh, you know, in the military and they're serving in one of your military stations and they're going to go back to Wichita, right? So. Right. Yeah. Wow. So, Russ, what are the implications for reciprocity? Because the whole Sarah compact seems to be, um, you know, affected by all of this negotiated rulemaking as well. Yeah, so this is a, a, a separate part of the same rule, uh, Section 32, that uh, was mentioned by uh, Cheryl, that there was a, a requirement put in there on institu uh, requirement on institutions. So it's not a they can't do a requirement on SARA or on states uh, because any, any rules have to be around the money that the federal government gives out. So it's a requirement on institutions that they... Uh, are not eligible to grant aid in another state if they're part of a reciprocity agreement uh, that doesn't allow the states to enforce, is the word that they use, it, to enforce uh, state regulations that are institution-specific. And so I'll have to go into a geeky thing here where there's two different types of rules. There's the uh, generally applicable types of laws, and so that's things like fraud or misrepresentation that uh, could be not only for institutions, but for your barbershop or your used car dealer or anybody that's in the state. And then there are rules that are specific to institutions in the state. And what happened in the uh, reciprocity agreement, so what is now SARA, when that was put together, that there were some of those things that were institution-specific ones that, uh, that the states agreed and that they voluntary, voluntarily joined into this, that they said, okay, that we have a, like a tuition refund requirement in this state, but if you're part of SARA, that you don't have to use that. And there's a whole list of those sorts of things. What this did, uh, what this would do if, if uh, the language goes forth as it is right now, is that it would say that really the only thing that can be part of reciprocity is the actual act of applying for uh, author, state authorization in the state and any fees that you have. So the result would be uh, kind of back to the pre-2014, pre-SARA days where uh, if there's a tuition requirement in a tuition refund requirement in a state or you have to do bonding or you have to do uh, extra um, uh, data analysis, data pr provisions in a state, there's, and there's a whole host of other things uh, that could come back into play uh, if this provision goes forward. And I do have to say that there's some it, it all depends on how people act and how the states respond and how Sarah responds as to what the full impact will be. But we can certainly see where uh, it could have a pretty significant impact on uh, Sarah and students and institutions. Yeah, I can see that. I, I think back to the to the pre-Sarah days and when we were looking at individual states to become compliant in those states, there were some that did have tuition refund policies that were actually in in violation of Florida law. Like we weren't 
by law, we have certain rules about how we're allowed to refund tuitions and what some states required, like, you know, partial refunds, depending upon the date when you withdraw or whatever, that were in, in direct conflict with what the state of Florida says we're allowed to do. And it just, we were like, thank goodness for Sarah, because it neutralized all of that kind of stuff. But now it seems like, I guess for genuine you know, consumer protection reasons. They're looking at putting all this back in place, but it seems to just completely mitigate the, a lot of the benefits of a national reciprocity compact like like Sarah. Yeah, that's exactly what the uh, the proponents of this are saying is that it provides uh, increased student protections uh, and that's, uh, for them because there's a lot of these things that now come into play on out-of-state institutions and that they thought it was unfair that distant students in a state had uh, what they were calling two tiers worth of protections, one if they're SARA institutions and one if the students are in a uh, non-SARA institution. But but we, we keep pointing out that these states voluntarily got into this and also that there's probably um, the proponents of this tend to be from a few states that had very strict rules and that they want their rules enforced but, not, but aren't looking at that, oh, wait, there is uh, quite a few states that really had little or no rules in several states where, uh, where Sarah actually brought up the consumer protection. And that, that part of it is uh, lost on it as well. And, and, and what, will happen, what will happen with that? So Cheryl, as we look at, you know, say the, the certification requirements or the disclosures, if we think this is going to happen, right, if we think the department's going to write this and then they, they t just take effect at some point, right, because they couldn't come to consensus, then at what point do institutions need to stop admitting students from certain states where they can't guarantee certification, you know, when they graduate? Right. And the, it was really interesting to listen to the committee discuss that because they were talking about kind of a, a way to grandfather people in, if you will, because they were talking about certain application period, admittance, and then being able to have the institution be able to ensure and satisfy. So they were talking about that that would start into play after the if whatever the effective date which is always a july one because it has to do with financial aid so it's a july one and so it would mean the next admitting class is what that what this would the institution would have to ensure that it satisfies the state educational requirements and that's tw 2023 july 1 2023 if if the regulations are able to be in final form by November 1 of 2022. They have a very strict calendar. And so what we're looking for right now is for the department to have to write this rule. They'll have to write the certification procedures issue. So it'll include this section 32. And so it's the whole package. So they'd have to prepare that package and have it available as a proposed regulation subject to public comment. And then the public has the opportunity to comment and the department has to have time to review the comments and be able to respond to them to be able to provide that with the final regulations by November 1 in order for them to be effective by July 1 of 2023. Okay. That's a lot to do. And Tom, the confusing thing about this is that they, they now have 16 issues that, and some of them are massive issues like gainful employment and the, these that they have out there that they need to write up to, to send out for the public comment. And so we're thinking 
some will get on the track to make this November 1st, 2022, uh, 2022 deadline, and some probably will be after that, and so they'll make the November 1st, 2023 deadline, making the effective date of those 20 being 2024. And we've been talking to different people and we're kind of taking bets about which issue will be early and which will be late and we get we have different ideas and so we'll have to everybody will have to kind of watch to see uh, uh, which ones come out come out when and and the thing for sure is that it'll come out prior to a holiday because they love doing that and, and ruining <laughs> yes. ruining Cheryl's in my weekend so that's, that's right. <laughs> that is exactly what happens <laughs> I'm sure it's I'm sure it's in, wholly intentional yeah so, so we, we better not go anywhere for July 4th that's weekend right. that's that's right. Right. <laughs> and they have been so, July 4th Maybe the uh, maybe the last question uh, I'll throw out is, um, you know, what can institutions do? What should they be aware of? I know I sent a public comment. I wrote a nice letter that, that Bob Reed wrote for me, and I sort of put my name on and tweaked it and sent it off. And then I got a nice note back from the department saying, thanks, but we don't care. You know, we're not taking any of these right now. So what can institutions do to have some influence or to plan for what may come down the pike? Well, I think some of the things that you should be doing right now is just educating yourself about all this. Uh, and we'll be covering more about this on our WCETfrontiers.org, uh, our blog uh, website. So be watching that. That's the first thing. The second is probably uh, doing early warning all, all around you at the institution about uh, letting people know that this is in the works. And uh, so talking to your provost's uh, president's office uh, uh, government relations office for sure, because I think there may government relations may want to start talking to senators, congressmen, and such. Uh, especially if you have people who are on either the uh, Senate Help Committee, which deals with education, or the House uh, Education and Workforce Committees, that you may want to get that. So there's some ways there, but but you're right. The Department of Education is not not taking comment right now until they put out the uh, until they totally put out the rule. Cheryl, what else would you recommend? Well, we've talked a lot about being able to make sure that the institution is tracking where their students are. What are their priorities? Because business decisions may need to be made. And so, you know, with reciprocity, some folks thought, oh, carte blanche, we can now provide our programs anywhere for institutional approval. Of course, professional licensure, you have to be a little more cautious, but now even more so. And so uh, making sure the tracking is uh, in good shape and making business decisions about where you're providing your programs. So that way you're, you're prepared um, should these rules come down. Cool. Well, thank you both for taking the time on short notice to, to kind of jump into the podcast and, and give us an update on all these really important issues that are sort of swirling all around us that if, if it looks like, you know, this train keeps moving, um, will impact everybody in this distance learning space, and we're, we're going to have to learn how to uh, adjust accordingly. So, you know, thank you for all of your hard work, all your advocacy on all of our behalf, and um, and for coming on TopCast and sharing all this information. Great. Thank you, Tom and Kelvin. Thanks for having us. Well, Tom, that was your interview with Russ and Cheryl. That's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a kind of fire hose of information, um, but it's important, and it's important for us to track, um, especially because depending upon what um, what happens, uh, the the date, you know, will either be uh, July twenty three or July twenty four. But those dates are going to come. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no matter, we can't stop them. So they're going to come one way or the other. And so, um, if there is an opportunity to um, 
to write a letter and express mm-hmm. your concern or express your opinion. Um, you know, I did, and um, and I encourage people to do it. I think I, I think you know this is democracy in action, and mm-hmm. when if there is a comment period, um, let's take advantage of it. Yeah. So again, go to our show notes page. You'll find links to uh, how to do all of that stuff if you don't know already how to do so. Shall I try to wrap this up and get us out the door? Sounds good. Perhaps we'll say by way of wrap up that government regulation gives bounds to and focus to our work of online higher education. Staying informed and involved, as you just mentioned, is the best way to influence the process and ensure that our work is aligned with regulations and is not unduly hindered by them. How's that? Amen, brother. All right. Until next time, for TopCast, I'm Kelvin. And I'm Tom. See ya.